Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the extravagant Eric Bontz, the Weregator, the astounding Anthony Macaronis, and the jazzy Jeffrey Lees. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and Senda, and we're going to talk about tips and tricks on how to introduce new games to your players. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our Get to Know a Gnome question, which today we're going to ask, what's the newest game you've gotten to play this year? Senda, I'm going to start with you. Cool. I have this exciting thing where I do an actual play podcast, and right now it means that I'm getting to play all sorts of games while they're on Kickstarter, (laughs) which is great. So this year... The most recent ones that I've gotten to play sort of simultaneous with Kickstarters and releases were For the Queen and Hearts of Wulin. And before that, I got to also play Bite Me, which, gosh, I can't wait to play that one again. Werewolves and drama. Bite Me was fun. Oh, so good. (laughs) Um, Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But it really is has, has so far this year, it has been like everything that that show is dropping is like new right then as it's coming out. Oh, my gosh, I say that. And I'm literally sitting next to the box of Fiasco because the new Fiasco in a box is sitting next to me and we're still dropping the episodes from that playthrough right now. (laughs) So it's been awesome and I love every minute of it. (laughs) That was a lot of games. There's like more that I'm sure I can't even think of. (laughs) Chuck, what about you? So the I, I'm only going to name one game because I don't have quite the, the proliferation of, of games that I play. But <laughs> while at Gen Con this last year, I played a game called Axon Punk, which came out in 2018. And it's a, uh, a cyberpunk game uh, with a strong hip-hop influence. But the thing that I really liked about it was that it sort of tried to get away from that sort of like nihilistic kind of individualism that you see in cyberpunk and really focused on the community aspects. So a lot of what you do is built on protecting and maintaining and building up the communities that you find yourself in. And I really liked that emphasis in it. It was was a good game. I liked it. That sounds cool. I played Mm -hmm. a cybernetic kitten when I played that game. It was great. (laughs) Awesome. That's awesome. It was amazing. I was the computer. Anyway, Ange, what was the newest game that you played? I think mine are actually almost exactly the same as yours, Senda. uh, (laughs) Because I got to, at QCC... I got to play Hearts of Lynn, run by Agatha, so who is amazing. She really is. And her, her NPC game is so top-notch. I mean, like, yes. I there, she was playing just this young apprentice kid at one point, and I'm like, I just, I loved this kid. I, it, it's all, all she had to do is just give me this raised eyebrow, and I'm like, I love this NPC so much. <laughs> But Hearts of Wulin itself is a really, really good game, and I highly recommend checking it out. It was on Kickstarter this spring, and it should be out soonish, yeah, I think. I um, agree. It was great. <laughs> I also got to pick up my copy of uh, For the Queen at Origins, which is amazing. I actually got to playtest that last year at Origins, and so I've been like eagerly awaiting for it to come out in some form that I can physically have it in my hands. And I was also on the episode of She's a Super Geek that you did for Bite Me, which was awesome. Because right. <laughs> I like werewolves. Oh, man. Who doesn't like werewolves and drama? That's great. <laughs> can I share a really quick fun, funny story about For the Queen? Absolutely. I think I've played that game. I've played it at least 10 times now, right? Like I keep playing it over and over again at conventions and stuff. And I walked into the room that I'm in right now, my office, where I keep all of my games and where I do all my recording. And I was just looking at the shelf and I noticed, 
my actual personal copy of For the Queen is still in the plastic. I just keep playing this game, but I keep playing other people's copies. It's really funny. Anyway, that was my funny story about For the Queen for the morning. That's awesome. So not too long ago, Sender wrote an article talking about introducing your players to new kinds of games. And I think while most of us here on this episode today can be called polygamerous, uh, there are definitely folks out there who tend to gravitate towards a particular game, and it can take a little more work to try get them to try new games. And so I thought it would be a good topic to, uh, to basically just talk about some tips and tricks for, for getting people to try new things. Mm-hmm. Senda, why don't you tell us a little bit about the article you wrote? Right. So um, it's just something that I've noticed that, you know, being really into small book and indie games and new games and stuff, there's definitely sort of a bridge that sometimes we have to gap between people's entry points, which is frequently stuff like D&D or other big name, but probably like pretty big book style RPGs. There's like a bridge that you have to kind of get people to jump over to get them from that one game that they've committed a lot of time and energy and passion into into seeing how that passion can expand into all of these other games that provide all of these other experiences, because there are so many different experiences out there, right? And I think that the normal path, not normal, I shouldn't say normal, but one of the frequently seen paths that we see for that is people will play D&D and they'll play D&D or Pathfinder or something like that, and they'll play it for like 10 or 12 years straight, and that is the only thing they play, and that's certainly what I did. And then suddenly something opens your eyes, and you go, oh, wait, there's other games and they're not weird and scary. They're actually like just different experiences that I could have, right? And then I can expand into this and not be sort of just in a rut where like, you know, like at some point after 12 years, maybe dungeon crawling in and of itself is no longer the thing that you're passionate about. I'm finding I'm not super into fantasy games right now. Like, (laughs) I'm like, it happens, right? Like you go through phases, but like you, you can expand outwards from there, right? So it's like it's a it's a point where you can you can hit that point and you can kind of be like, well, maybe I'm sort of bored of gaming because that one thing that you've been really into for the long time isn't the thing that's really capturing you anymore. Or you can, you know, see that there's more out there to play with. And I think that there's something definitely about that specifically. And I know this was true for me, too, where you like you pick up something like D&D or Pathfinder and you spend a lot of time and energy getting rules mastery of those games. Like there is a serious personal investment on getting up to speed and getting to the point where you can play that kind of thing smoothly because there's so many rules to keep track Mm -hmm. of. And there's so many spells and all of those things, right? So it's a large time commitment to kind of get on board initially. And then the concept of moving outside of that, outside of your comfort zone and not knowing how anything works again having to go through that rules mastery process again, like all of those things can be really intimidating to move out of that original space that you're in where you know you're really comfortable and you know how to play something really Mm -hmm. well. Like I can still tell you all the rules about rogues and flanking and like all of that stuff (laughs) for like third edition three, five Pathfinder, right? I don't know how it works anymore in fifth edition, but (laughs) there is no flanking. in. I know it makes my mind explode. I don't like it. I spent way too much of my life optimizing exactly how to flank people so that I could get my sneak attack bonus. It freaks me out that it's not there anymore. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so that's basically what the article is about, is like some ideas about getting people over that bridge in a comfortable way that is not intimidating, that doesn't come across as like, well, 
I play indie RPGs. So like, it's like, well, I buy this bottle of wine, right? Like none of that snobby business. No hipster gamers. No hipster gamers. Like we're all gamers. And like, there are things out there that other people will enjoy. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to understand that change is uncomfortable and awkward. And people have made a, a large time commitment to the game that they might be playing. So like, yeah, it's kind of scary and intimidating sometimes to make that leap. And like, so we can't be like, I don't know, unfriendly on the other side or nobody's going to want to because why would they put in the effort? Anyway, yeah. that was pretty much what the article was about in summation, I think, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I have some like, feels. We'll have, a, we'll have a link. We'll have a link, we'll have a link to that article in the, in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's super important to remember to just not, like you said, don't be, don't be a hipster gamer. Don't be a gamer snob. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there, there's a lot of good that can happen in both, you know, the mainstream big book games and the smaller games, but it's just, you can, you can mix and match your, 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 what you want out of games and pull it together into different, different things. Chuck, what are some things that, you know, you personally have dealt with in trying to get people to try new games? So I, I am also, just like you said, very, very polygamous. I have three six-foot-tall bookshelves in uh, my ground floor that do not get nearly as much use as I would like. <laughs> uh, and, and some friends and I, a couple of times now, have put together something that we call the Year of Orphan Games, which is where Ooh. we plan out opportunities to play just quick one-shots of a whole bunch of games, and, and we all suggest different games that we don't really get to play very often. And so my experience with that, a, a couple of things. Um, one, never lead with the system. One of the great advantages that RPGs have is that they have strong narrative tying things together, and everyone understands narrative, right? If you pull out the rule bits from Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, or even a game like The Watch, which I cannot recommend highly enough, amazing, amazing game, the story is the same for all of them with obvious setting differences, and so everybody understands that story. And so if you lead with that, you get people invested rather than having them deeply bogged down in the minutia of these rules, mm-hmm. just like you were saying. And, you know, the advice, be patient and welcoming, is great for new games. It's also great for life in general. Agreed. So uh, definitely, yeah, like lead, lead with the story, not with the system. And another thing is every game, particularly those big, giant, you know, 300, 400-page books or the ones that fill up a whole shelf because they have all those sort of ancillary materials, you're never going to get to use all of those rules. So especially if you're doing sort of a, a quick one-shot introduction for things. But also quick one-shot introductions, I think, are a great way to get people's feet wet in a game to see if they like Mm -hmm. it, to see if they want to explore more of it. Uh, And frequently, frequently, players want to. And so I I would say the only other thing that I would say within that is, so, so we have be welcoming, don't expect to be able to do all of the rules at once, set it up as an event that you sort of plan things around. And I'd have to say the last thing is do not in any way imply to your group that we're doing this game that you might not like instead of this beloved game that we already have. Don't say, okay, we're done with D&D or Pathfinder because now I want to play Axon Punk or The Watch or Dungeon World mm-hmm. or you know A Cozy Den. Let your players know that they can still have the thing that they want, but they're also trying something else new at the same time. And that's really where I'd go with this. That last one is really important. Like, n- mm-hmm. never never be like, I'm taking away your dessert that you love 
and I'm going to give you this broccoli instead that you don't know if you like. Never present it like that. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That, that way lies resentment. It's Absolutely. good for you. It's good yeah. for you. Just eat it. You'll like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still very much love D&D. Admittedly, I love D&D as played by the group of people that I play it with mm-hmm. because we incorporate a lot more of the the concepts and attitudes that I have learned over the years from more narrative-based games, from different games. In fact, I feel like 5th edition has incorporated various concepts from indie games to try and help Mm -hmm. build that story. Mm -hmm. A lot of people still play it as, you know, murder hobos romping through the countryside, killing things and raiding dungeons, but... It can be more than that, and it is for my group, so I still love D&D, and I would be very upset if somebody decided, no, mm-hmm. we're never playing this ever again. But but I like it. <laughs> exactly. At the same time, I like trying other things. I like tasting other games and mm-hmm. seeing what's going on in them. At the same time, I understand... I think it's important, if you are a GM and you want to bring a new game to your players... You need to, as as Senda was saying, people put a lot of investment into mastering these games, and you need to respect that. If somebody's enjoyment of gaming comes from rules mastery, then they're going to get really frustrated if you're constantly trying to put them Mm -hmm. into new systems of play. Mm -hmm. You know, because, yeah, absolutely lead with the story, because that's why we're here, but if they feel like they can't master the game like they have in other systems, they're going to get frustrated. So you need to understand that and and work with that, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. I think it definitely requires an understanding of the people that you're playing with and what they specifically get out of gaming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you know going in, you know, well, I mean, A, so you know going in, is this a game that they're likely to like? Because if it's not one that they're going to like anyway, why, why, why are you doing this to them? <laughs> Even if they're not into the narrative <laughs> stuff, right? Um, like maybe, maybe they just don't like werewolves and you're like, let's play Bite Me. It's going to be great. And they're like, I don't like werewolves. <laughs> like it's going to be right off the bat. You're creating a bad, bad experience, right? Mm-hmm. But, then, but then secondarily, it is like, what do they get out of gaming, right? Mm-hmm. Is it about the role play for them? Is it about the mechanics? Are they a, a, a rules mastery kind of player? Are they a combat-oriented kind of player? Like it, so it, it takes some knowing and understanding like what feeds them joy from playing RPGs mm-hmm. to make sure that you're A, picking something that they'll like, and B, can create an experience with that game that they're still on board with and still enjoying, even if they just play a one-shot or whatever. I believe I heard a story from Phil at this year's QCC. He was running your, your Turning Point game that you guys have been working on and recently released Quick Start Rules for. I don't know. I, I ran it all this time. <laughs> I don't think he ran it at QCC. <laughs> Did he? Are you the one that... No, I was... It was the one where they basically framed it as a and d thing. Oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> that was you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it's Senda. Okay. Tell the story. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so, so we, uh, so I sat down to run Turning Point, which is a brand new game because the Quick Start just came out and the Kickstarter will be coming at the beginning of 2020. And we sat down at the table and I, I had a couple of people who had played Turning Point before. And I had a couple of folks who hadn't played Turning Point before, but that had played lots of different games before. And I had one really lovely gal who had never played anything but Adventurers League. And so as we sat down and went through how the game was setting up, I mean, she was specifically at QCC. She was like, I'm going to play lots of other games. So like she was already like on board gung ho. I was like, I love you. You're great. (laughs) Right. 
But when we found that out, and it wasn't even me that led this, actually. It was uh, Quincy, who uh, I'm lucky enough to have as one of my um, standard gamers here in my home group. But he's an awesome dude. And he was like, hey, well, why don't we make this a little bit more comfortable for you? Because this is a new experience for you. And like, why don't we set this in like a D&D setting? And so we, because, you know, everybody who sat down at that table was extremely familiar with the tropes of D&D, right? So we played Turning Point. Um, we played a decision about basically having a chronic illness and doing something to resolve it that might have worse consequences than the chronic illness. But where that decision is usually set in a very modern sort of standard time frame where you're talking about hospitals and doctors and stuff, it was D&D. So like she was cursed and there was, um, you know, a potential cure that dealt with a bunch of clerics who were traveling through town who worshipped a not so nice god. <laughs> so she had some decisions to make and she was a paladin to a different god. So like it was it was the key was we were able to still create the same tension. And it was mm -hmm. still very intense, but we got to play in kind of a setting that we were all super comfortable with, right? Because she'd been playing lots of D&D. &D. And with a, a kind of a character and stuff that, like, she was like, here is a character that I used to play with that I don't play with anymore. Like, we used that as a starting point and, like, we created this character off of that. So, like, it was right off the bat really involved for her and involved a bunch of really comfortable elements for her and things that we were all comfortable playing with to kind of jump into a very different style of playing in a very different type of game because it's very actually difficult for me to describe Turning Point in the terms of actual D&D mechanics. Like, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I can absolutely take that narrative and that setting and those kinds of tropes and characters and totally just whoop, put that over the top and we can have that game and that sort of fan high fantasy feeling even from something that was written to be very, like, contemporary modern. Which is cool. It was great. Yeah. It was fantastic. Awesome. I love that story when I when I heard it because I'm like, oh, that is that is perfect. And I I think there's like there's there's two different things here. There's like you have your home group of players that you're trying to introduce to new, something new to, and then yes. you have you know you're running a game at a con and you have somebody sit down who has limited experience with different games. It's like they're two very different things. It is, it is two different things. I, I will say the thing, and this might be me having, you know, a bit of a bias. I do think that the recent proliferation of actual play podcasts is driving a lot of discovery in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. So even folks who are coming in, they're discovering D&D through podcasts, and then they keep listening to more podcasts because they're discovering, they're like devouring all the podcasts. There's some great ones out there, right? And there's a lot of D&D podcasts, but eventually you're going to hit something on a podcast that isn't, right? Yeah. And sometimes when you can hear it first, it creates a level of comfort with the ideas and the concepts of it before you jump into it. And you don't have to do quite as much of a leap to get into something where you're like, I don't know how it works and I don't want to do it wrong, right? What are your thoughts, Chuck? Uh, I personally, I think actual play podcasts are, are driving a lot of discovery and also helping to do a lot of the work for that kind mm -hmm. of introduction in, in the rules heavy lifting as yeah. well. Uh, I, I have actually very specifically sought out actual play podcasts for games that I'm wanting to run for Year of Orphan Games or something similar to that. So I don't have to slog through a 300-page book and try to master <laughs> all the rules and create characters and figure out how the little fiddly bits interact with each other in the game so that I don't end up with some sort of horrible off-the-rails thing happening because I didn't understand the rules. 
I think actual play podcasts are a universal good, and I want to see more of them. Yay! <laughs> yeah, my first time running Tales from the Loop, I ran it so, so wrong. So, so wrong. But I had never played it before. I hadn't watched any actual play or listened to any actual plays. I just, like, read the rules, and I'm like, okay, let's try this. And then after I was done, I was like, I did that all wrong. <laughs> all backwards. But everyone had fun at the table, so that's all that really matters. It is all that yep. matters in the end. And I think that that is a really good thing to just bring up, which is that, like, as long as everyone is having fun, personally, to me, that's more important than the rules are. Like, I'm always going to do my best to adhere to the rules to the mm -hmm. best of my ability. But at some point, it really is about, like, just making sure that everybody's having fun. And as someone who is Fortunate enough that now I get to have people come on to my show to run things, but before I used to literally <laughs> have to learn lots of new games, at least one a month. Mm -hmm. I, I feel that very strongly because like I would just <laughs> skim the book real quick, like, okay, I think I got it. I'm like, let's go. Right. <laughs> but I'm not gonna spend time looking it up and stuff. So I think it is really key if you're the person running the game and the game is also mm -hmm. new to you, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. don't Absolutely. panic. Bring yep. your bring your towel and just, you know, the purpose here is fun. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's it's good to understand where the people you're trying to bring into this game are coming from, because I, I, we, we kind of said this earlier, but if you have only ever played one game system with this group, don't, like, don't bring something from completely out of left field. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe make some transitional, bring in some transitional games along the way. You know, because if you really want to get them to play something that's really, you know, esoteric and indie and very rules light, and they're used to playing Pathfinder, mm, that's a lot of heavy lifting to get them to really invest in that game. So find some things mm -hmm. along the way that that can help ease them into it. I think I think that's an important thing to keep in mind too. Absolutely. Do you have any like? Say I'm I'm just gonna host for a moment here. Chuck, first, do you have any favorite <laughs> transitional games that you like to use with folks if they haven't played a lot of other games before? So my my big focus when I'm sort of trying to get people into other games has always been to get non gamers to try games, and so Fiasco has always been a really good go to for nice. that because <laughs> there's it's it's telling a story together, but the gamey parts are in setting up the story that you're telling. So that really introduces the idea of like character creation and narrative and this is how the rules get involved in it and then there's a tilt uh that that's that's a really really big big one that i like um i i like fate accelerated because you can introduce people very very quickly to a game with very minimal anything it's been my experience fate accelerated doesn't support continued play very well but once you've given them sort of that free taste then you can introduce them to more complex systems the first taste is always free <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and I know I've mentioned The Watch a couple of times. I played it for the first time at Gen Con this last year, but The Watch is absolutely going to be on my list of games that I use to introduce people because of how differently it approaches everything about games, and it moves the needle away from combat simulators to simulators of how relationships work between people, and I absolutely love it. So those those are probably the ones that I would that I would name. How about you? I was actually thinking in my in my actual personal experience of this journey, right, going from mm -hmm. D&D and Pathfinder um, and, and exploring further, the game that actually bridged that gap for me was Fate Core. Oh. And we were like, Fate Core, cool, this is great. And then we were like, wait, we could just be playing Fate Accelerated. This is even easier. And then we did that. <laughs> and then from there, it was like an explosion. So I do think mm -hmm. it's interesting. Fate is also one that I would use specifically 
for kind of bridging that heavy mechanical into mm-hmm. like more narrative systems because fate is actually reasonably mechanical but really ends up pulling in the narrative more mm-hmm. and then the other one that i've frequently used for for kind of introducing people to different styles of play um as a as a bridge game is dungeon world because in a lot of ways dungeon mm-hmm. world you can take folks who are really versed in like the fantasy tropes and you can say look i'm not going to change the style of narrative on you like we're not going to do any of that. Let's try a different style of mechanics and see what that does with our narrative and see how that plays, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I've also done. But also, like, sometimes you just leap in feet first, head first, and just <laughs> go wild. And, you know, I had I had the lovely gal at QCC who was at my table who had never played anything but D&D. And not even just D&D, but Adventures League D&D, which is a specific flavor mm-hmm. of, like, combat-oriented generally D&D, right? So Mm -hmm. um, she was coming from a very specific place, but also at my table at Origins this year, Turning Point was um, one of the gals that I played with. It was the first RPG, tabletop RPG she had ever played in her life. And it was amazing. And I, she told me that I was like, wow, no pressure. Um, (laughs) But, but it, it went, she was amazing. And I think that she had a really good introductory experience too. And she knew what she was looking for. She was looking for alternative mm-hmm. storytelling methods. And she sat down at the right table for that. But um, <laughs> so I think it depends a lot on who it is and how flexible they are and all of those things. But I do think that Fate is a pretty good um, mm-hmm. um, transitional game. And then also finding games like Dungeon World or other games that people will connect with narratively. And then once you have the narrative connection, being able to just be like, cool. And and the thing about taking something like Dungeon World or something like that is there's so many Powered by the Apocalypse games now. And many of them, not all of them, many of them work from very similar concepts. Some of them are a little bit more extrapolated than others. But it means that once you kind of have that core down, you can be like, cool, you remember that cool Dungeon World game we played that had those mechanics? Like, now we can go play H2O and you kind of already know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I like those too. But Ange, do you have any favorites? See... <laughs> I have had very good luck with some of my Powered by the Apocalypse games. Not all of them. Right. Some yeah. <laughs> some of them get a little esoteric in what they're trying to do, and I definitely wouldn't like try and introduce a pure D&D player to PBTA with actual Apocalypse World. Right, that, or like they, Bluebeard's Bride or something. Yeah, no. That'd be but, a lot. Um, like, so like Monster I, of the Week. I know, but it would be a lot. <laughs> um, I've had good luck with Monster of the Week, uh, Uncharted Worlds, and Masks. And that's because those are three oh, yeah. concepts. They're, they're three media concepts that are generally very easy for people to grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a different system, even if it's a different thing, if I can get them into that mindset of, you know, like Monster of the Week, it's Buffy, it's X-Files, it's Supernatural. If they know any of those, it's Dresden Files. If they know any of those, they've instantly got that, that toe into the water for that game and we can get moving with the 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 story that the game will bring out masks superheroes everyone knows superheroes now and with uncharted world it's it's space opera you know it's your firefly it's your star wars it's your whatever whatever trappings of of space opera you want to throw on it and and there is a degree of when i'm introducing players there's some stuff i throw out or don't emphasize as much because it's like you really want to you know, and I, I've actually gotten into an argument with, with somebody on some of this because he was like, no, 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 you're not being true to the game if you're not using these rules. And I'm like, yeah, but these rules are going to alienate any new player that wants to try mm-hmm. and get into this because they make the game a little more complicated in ways they're probably not ready for. 
So let's just set those aside and we'll dive into this. So it's like, I've had really good luck with those. Cool. I think we've covered this topic pretty well. Uh, so unless there's any, any last words the two of you want to throw into this, uh, let's head into our outro. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by New Game Radar. Install this app on your phone and alert you to new games even as they're being formed in the minds of the developers sitting around having coffee and getting inspired. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Jang Hu Hustle! Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jang Hu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by watching wuxia films, then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Chuck, where else can we find you on the internet? You can find me at innocuouschuck on Twitter. How about you? You can find me at orikes13, O-R-I-K-E-S-13, on Twitter and Instagram, though Instagram is mostly pictures of my cats. And send a... <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. It's at Idella Mifflin, I-D-E-L-L-A-M-I-T-H-L-Y-N-N-D. We're all still giggling about this, but it's too late for me to change it now. You can also find me um, on my podcast, She's a Super Geek, which is at Sass Geek Podcast on Twitter, and Pandas Talking Games, which is at Pandas Talk Games. Excellent. So do you guys think we avoided the stew this week? Can we maybe give John some new ingredients? Let us fervently hope. I've been hearing stories about there's a ladder installed in one side, if we can just find the right. And I think somebody has an escape hatch installed, too, so... Right. <laughs> We're probably good. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. I thought you were doing the, like, Chuck, stop talking. I'm like, oh, God, did I say something wrong? No, oh, no. it wasn't you.